joined by Nora Barrows Friedman, an award-winning journalist, editor, and radio broadcaster. You have most certainly read her articles on the Electronic Intifada. I experience a ton of anti-Semitism from Zionist Jews. I call you a self-hating Jew because they don't like your political opinion. And that is anti-Semitism. The implication is that the only way to love yourself as a Jew is to support settler colonialism. I have so many of these little weirdo brainwashed Zionists all up in my DMs and they're like, how do you even celebrate Passover next year in Jerusalem? And it's like, yeah, the prayer is next year in Jerusalem. It is not set up a apartheid state in Jerusalem. It is not ethnically cleansed the land of Jerusalem. Maybe I've been doing the wrong prayer. You know what I mean? I don't know. Zionism is a racist state ideology and it is itself inherently anti-Semitic. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we bring you the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and stories, commentary and interviews with the aim of spreading awareness about the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You may know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's going on, y'all? Mikey Beyond on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram, and Mikey Intifada, if you are writing me manifestos in my DMs. <laughs> We're so excited for this week's show. So please take a moment to like, comment, subscribe if you have not already done so on YouTube. And if you're listening on one of your favorite podcast apps, please do leave us a review. We read every single comment and we try to respond to everything. Feel free also to email us at palestinepod at gmail.com. And of course, do check out our website where we do provide all the sources for the subjects that we cover on this show. Sometimes it takes us a few days to post the sources after the episode airs, so keep checking back for updates. You can find our website at palestinepod.com. Today, we are joined by Nora Barrows Friedman, an award-winning journalist, editor, and radio broadcaster. You've most certainly read her articles on the Electronic Intifada, where she has long been a reporter or heard her speak on issues related to the struggle for justice and equality in Palestine on the Electronic Intifada podcast. She also hosts another podcast called The Brief, dealing with issues of empire and imperialism. She is author of In Our Power, U.S. Students Organize for Justice in Palestine. She has dedicated many years to studying and reporting on student activism, the Palestinian-led boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, including its successes and challenges, as well as reporting on the crackdown on free speech in the U.S. and around the world. Nora, welcome to the Palestine Pod. Thank you so much. What an honor. We are so happy to have you. <laughs> so excited you're here. I recognize you from TikTok. Yeah, I recognize you from your prolific writing. Oh career. my God, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I was telling Laura, like, that's actually like, it was the serendipitous uh, <clears throat> intro to you guys was was I was just scrolling, scrolling along on the TikToks and I was like, oh my God, this guy is like saying everything I wish someone had said when I was, you know, 20 something years old. Um, oh my God, I love you so much. I'm in my thirties. Thank you so <laughs> oh much. Oh my God, really? <laughs> that, wow. Whatever, you know I what? think it's just <laughs> the TikTok thing. Oh, I love you so much already. I've already, I already <laughs> loved you just from your writing, you know? <laughs> okay, great. Fantastic. Well, I won't tell you how old I am, but I am one of those Gen Xers. I'm going to be 43. Um, nice. Who discovered 
TikTok over the pandemic. And it's actually been like one of the greatest ways to pass the time. Yeah, I agree. I love it. And there's so much like Palestine content. It's kind of, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I just love it. It's, it seems like one of the only social media apps where Palestine content is encouraged. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I know, yeah. like the the Zionists haven't uh, been able to shut that one down yet. So we'll see. They are working on it, though. <laughs> they work sure. diligently in my messages. <laughs> sure. Oh, God, that must be awful. It's not great. You know what I mean? It's not great. (laughs) Oh, well, um, I'm so grateful for you guys for doing this and for making Palestine such a focus of what it means to be a human rights activist and and believe in justice and equality. You're like a big sister. I don't know. I'm so proud of you guys. It's great. (laughs) We feel that. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm so happy to have you as big sister. Yeah, I mean, we're, do- we're doing it because everybody else has done it before us. We're not saying anything new. I think it's just, we're probably packaging it different. The content exactly. is the same thing that activists have been saying for decades. I mean, exactly. it's really, really nothing exactly. new. We are yeah. keeping up with generations of oral tradition, right? <laughs> That's right, like, exactly. We, the same stories that we were told, we are repeating, we're citing yes. now, and they've never been more relevant. Yeah, it's phenomenal. What a time to be alive. <laughs> we're really happy that you like it. And actually we were like kind of a little like, oh my God, how are people going to receive this? Because you know, like people that yeah. are doing this work tend to be very, you know, serious about it and rightfully so. Yeah, right? yeah, of course. Um, so it's kind of like, well, how are you going to be received when you're trying to be serious, but you're also trying to make people laugh a little bit? Yeah, yeah. And will people yeah. get it? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the greatest ways to get such serious and terrifying information across is is to you know just like humanize the entire situation and the most hilarious moments in my life that many of them have been with Palestinians um, facing the most horrendous situations you know on the ground in refugee camps under siege under curfew with Israeli soldiers, you know, running around and, you know, just the the capacity to keep laughing and to have just um, a sparkling and dark humor. I think that's really important because otherwise, like, you know, because they, they, they can break a lot of things, but they can't break humanity. Because the situation <laughs> is so absurd, right? And it's absurdity so fucking absurd. It's <laughs> comedy and comedy is absurdity. You know, that's, yes. that's where comedy happens when you find exactly. the absurd, right? Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I was trying to explain to my almost five-year-old this morning what irony was and like because he's really he's he's getting the concept of sarcasm so like he's like mama you really love cleaning the cat litter (laughs) 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 yeah exactly (laughs) if we can learn how to be comedians at a very young age then I think we're on our way to goodness I spoke on it in maybe the first or second episode how one of the things that I really admired about Palestinian culture is just how funny people are. Yeah. And like, I saw a kinship yeah. with Jews, right? Yeah. Cause we are also oh funny people. So funny. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. From a lot of like the same, you know, well of, of experience, generational trauma, you know, living in absurd circumstances and, and, and being strong enough to power through it. Yeah. Yeah. There are people who <laughs> don't want Palestinians to have joy. Right. They want oh, yeah. them to just like wallow and be sorry 
And it's like, no, Palestine is beautiful. It's just dealing with a 70 plus year occupation that is trying to break its will. Right. right? But people see the beaches of Gaza. They're like, oh, that's like Miami. You know what I mean? That's like a regular place. And it's like, yeah, Yeah. they are people. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. People who are persevering and living their lives and the will to persevere is something we can all not just learn from, but protect and, and uphold and support and, and, you know, fight people who want to break that for them. Yeah. And that's our job. And that's what we're doing here today. So today we wanted to discuss the latest in the news dealing with the sustained attempts to silence and intimidate supporters of Palestinian rights by restricting free speech, especially by focusing on what is happening in the U.S. Now, this phenomenon is certainly not new, uh, but we have seen a surge of these tactics since the call for BDS was issued by Palestinian civil society in 2005 as a means to resist Israeli apartheid, colonization, and occupation. So 16 years after the call for BDS was issued, the battle continues. Now, looking at the U.S., recent polls have shown that there has been a growth in support for Palestinian rights. And this can certainly be attributed to years of sustained efforts by grassroots activists, including Palestinian Americans, anti-Zionist Jewish allies, and other allies of color, including Black activists, to raise awareness about Israel's violations of international law, which infringe upon Palestinian rights. On the other hand, there have been relentless efforts by the Israeli government and lobby to silence those who speak out for Palestinian rights across the world by creating what is often referred to as the Palestine exception to free speech, where political speech on other subjects is protected and part of freedom of speech. But if you dare to say anything to support Palestinian rights, then you may find yourself facing an array of tactics designed to silence you. And this, of course, includes false accusations of anti-Semitism and or support for terrorism, the interference with the organization of events and conferences, whether it be bureaucratic barriers to scheduling events or outright censorship where an event is about Palestinian rights or even Palestinian culture is simply canceled due to pressure by Zionist organizations. This also includes the sanctioning of Palestinian rights groups like what happened with Students for Justice in Palestine at Loyola University Chicago and others. This even includes the firing of professors, denying them tenure or censoring their speech in other ways. And finally, lawsuits and legal threats are brought, including criminal investigations and prosecution. And this includes being forced to litigate anti-BDS legislation, which restricts free speech. So to get started, Nora, over 30 states have passed some form of anti-BDS legislation restricting free speech, and many more have tried to pass laws but have been unsuccessful, like Montana and Washington in 2017. But even when we speak of the states that have passed some form of legislation restricting BDS, these laws have been struck down as being unconstitutional. So can you first tell us what the anti-BDS laws typically look like in the United States and share with us what are some of the latest legal victories in the US in defending the right to engage in political speech, even when it includes boycotting or calling on a boycott of Israel? Yeah, um, it's a really intense situation in terms of these measures that that have been passed by, as you said, over 30 states now since 2015, 2016. There are a myriad of ways that these measures have been put on the books and are enforced. 
Some like in California where I am, it's basically just like a, a lip service kind of reiterating the fact that bigotry against Jews is not okay in federally funded institutions. And there's, you know, there are already hate speech laws on the books. So like the one in California is pretty much watered down. People haven't been affected by it that much, but it is still on the books. The one in Florida, on the other hand, really seeks to penalize and criminalize um, activists and students and, and educators who sometimes even mention Palestinian rights or engage with the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement for Palestinian rights. And there are, you know, like threats of not only you know, criminal prosecution, but also like heavy fines. And then we have states like uh, Texas and Arizona and Kansas that had these laws on the books and they actually did harm people who were trying to exercise their constitutional right to engage in political opinion and, and protests. And they were uh, so, so they had, had been able then to file a civil lawsuit against the state saying that the state was infringing on their free speech rights. And in, in those states, Texas, Kansas, and Arizona, the courts agreed, and they actually issued injunctions against those laws. The Israel lobby, because it is relentless, they then worked with the legislature of those states to amend the law, not just toss it out, but to amend the law to, you know, not have it be enforced against individuals, but rather state contracted corporations or institutions with like, you know, a, a certain budget and a certain amount of employees. So there still is, are those laws that are on the books in those states, but it can't be applied against individuals. Just recently in the last uh, couple months, a similar measure was defeated in Arkansas, of all places. In order to accept the advertisements in his paper, he had to sign a contract saying that he or his organization would not participate in the boycott of Israel as long as that contract was valid. And he said, that is completely <laughs> absurd. Like, you know, it's not even like they were publishing anything on Palestine or talking at all about the BDS movement, but because political speech was being enforced on him and his paper, he filed a lawsuit and he said, this is completely unconstitutional. And the courts agreed with him and the ACLU. And so, you know, little by little, these laws are being um, whittled down, which is good. They shouldn't be on the books in the first place. As you mentioned, these laws are, you know, are completely unconstitutional. They target political opinions of Americans. And the right to engage in a boycott itself is also enshrined in the First Amendment. It is your right to buy or not buy products according to your own opinion. And that's what these laws are. They're meant to like, drive a wedge into the BDS movement, obviously. But, but more than that, because they're unconstitutional, the Israel lobby knows that they will not get all 50 states and, and the federal you know, legislator to, to, to pass these laws and have them stick. They know that wherever these laws are passed, they're going to be contested. But the point is to enact a chilling effect 
to get people to start self-censoring, to get people to sign a, you know, if, if a speaker is coming, and this happened in Georgia, Abby Martin, who's a, you know, a, a great political commentator and, and reporter, she was going to be giving a keynote speech at a conference in Georgia at a state university. And because they have an anti-boycott measure passed in their state, they made her sign a contract in order to receive an honorarium, which is something that, you know, it's just boilerplate, like you sign the contract, you know, you agree to come to this university and do this keynote and you're going to get an honorarium in return. But because of the BDS measure, there is a little addendum, addend exactly an addendum in the contract that says, while you are under this contract, you may not participate in or support the, you know, the BDS movement. And so, of course, she didn't sign it and she sued the state of Georgia. But people who are not so aware of the BDS movement or are kind of like intimidated, oh my God, like if I say anything about Palestine, will I be violating the state contract? I could get sued. It's really meant to do that, to instill fear, to get people to stop talking and to, to normalize um, this, uh, you know, this, this Palestine exception to free speech or, you know, it, this, this Israeli exception, uh, exceptionalism. I don't know. Cause those yeah. Southern states are really known as like a bastion of progressivism. <laughs> I mean, but there are, there are, you know, hubs of Palestine solidarity. No, uh, of course. I'm just talking about historically, uh, yeah, like historically, with slavery. Yeah, of course. Right. Exactly. Um, They're also very, you know, pro-Jewish. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. isn't it Ulysses S. Grant, I believe banned Jews from Tennessee or something like that. How are you yeah. going to ban Jews from a place we're not going? You won't find Jews in Tennessee. <laughs> For good I mean, reason. now you might, but yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reform I mean, this Jews. Whole... You're not seeing right. Hasids in Tennessee. Feel me? Like, not, probably not. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this all, you know, to, to then have these like very racist, white supremacist, anti Semitic, you know, Christian Zionist run states is saying that you can't talk about Palestine and you have to protect Israel at all costs. It's not because. They're, you know, in, interested in protecting Jews against anti-Semitic violence. That's that's not it. It's because... that's actually one of their specialties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's because they have shared values with yeah. Israel and and Zionist, you know, settler colonialism, and yeah. they have legislators who are very happy to accept Israel lobby money. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's yeah, that's how these these measures get passed. Sometimes they can be watered down enough. They're getting worse and worse, like the one in Florida, for example. So interesting that the places that have a history of Jim Crow and slavery so closely identify with Israel and their policies. Weird, right? Such a weird bedfellow, <laughs> huh? Yeah, strange. How did that happen? Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Mm, spicy. <laughs> yeah. Why are Israel flags always flown at white supremacist rallies? Why understand. did we see a guy That's in so a weird. Camp Auschwitz t-shirt or sweatshirt rather next to the Israel flag? Why did we see that? When they stormed the Capitol. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We all saw the photos of Israeli flags yeah. next to literal white supremacists and Nazis. So. Yep. Yep. 
yeah. I wanted to mention that actually, and you write this, Nora, in your article on the EI, that the decision in Arkansas was actually the first time where a federal appeals court decided on the constitutionality right. of anti-boycott laws. And so with this ruling, we now have not a single anti-BDS law that was held up to the scrutiny of the courts. Every single right. one of them has been struck down. That's the thing. <laughs> it's like they have no merit. The lobby groups that have worked with these state government bodies to pass these measures, they know that they can't hold up in court. But like I said, the point is just to waste people's time and resources and money trying to fight this and to get people to just stop criticizing Israel. Why would they spend if if they I mean, it's it's like completely absurd to me, like if they were so secure that Israel was a morally justified place where, you know, as they said, it has the most moral army in the world and it is a bastion of multiculturalism and like liberal values. And, and they, they love the gays. They love the gays. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's a startup nation. Right. You know, if they were so secure that those things were true, why would they spend their time trying to clamp down like a whack-a-mole every time Israel is criticized over its human rights policies. Like that's, that's the big question. And I think that question can't be, you know, asked enough. <laughs> it's like, obviously there's something going on here that Israel and its minions don't want you to see. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. If you deflect the subject away from assessing the merits assess right, right. our actual grievances, listen to what we're actually saying and respond on those points. If you prevent that conversation from happening at all, well, then, you know, that's probably your best way out because you have nothing to say on the merits. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of weaponizing anti-Semitism to undercut legitimate activists and organizations, I experience a ton of anti-Semitism from Zionist Jews. I don't know yes. about you, Nora, but oh, all for, the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Because I'm sure they call you a self-hating Jew. They try Traitor. and mm -hmm. they try and claim that you're not actually Jewish. Right. They will basically just like gatekeep right. Judaism and delegitimize yeah. your identity because they don't like your political opinion. And that is anti-Semitism, right? Because what they are assuming is that all Jews are meant to support Israel. They are conflating Judaism and Zionism. Every time they say that you're a self-hating Jew, the implication is that the only way to love yourself as a Jew is to support settler colonialism, right? right? I have so many- violent ma occupier. Yeah. I have so many of these little weirdo brainwashed Zionists all up in my DMs and my comments and everything. And they're like, how do you even celebrate Passover? You know what I mean? Next year in Jerusalem. And it's like, yeah, the prayer is next year in Jerusalem. It is not set up a apartheid state in Jerusalem. It is yeah. not ethnically cleansed the land of Jerusalem. Maybe I've been doing the wrong prayer. You know what I mean? I don't know. Zionism, not just to me and to you, but to scholars of colonialism. Zionism is a racist state ideology. And it is itself inherently anti-Semitic because of, of what you just laid out. Like the conflation of, uh, you know, <clears throat> homogenizing all Jews around the world as loyal or should be loyal only to the settler colonial state predicated on violence and ethnic cleansing. 
that we are somehow, you know, all therefore all responsible for the violence and and the you know the the war crimes. Netanyahu is one of the most anti-Semitic people on the planet. He you know he calls himself the leader of the Jewish people, right? I don't remember filling out a ballot for that. Guy. <laughs> and, I never voted for him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like when I think about what it means to be Jewish, I think about my ancestors who persevered under the most oppressive and violent uh, circumstances in Eastern Europe. I think about the community here that I grew up in, Bay Area in California, which I'm very lucky to have grown up in an anti-Zionist Jewish household. Um, wow. And I, you know, like my entire life's work up until this point has been to try and 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 you know de uh deconstruct this like very disconnect. and it's a very yeah disconnect this like it's a very recent conflation i mean only in the past hundred years right has this like drive to to to, to converge Judaism with this political ideology exploited Judaism. It exploited the, the exile. Of the trauma. People and the trauma. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, it was thought up by atheist bourgeoisie settler colonialists who wanted a piece of the pie and saw a way to do it. Terrorists. Yeah. I mean, and I, as a Jewish person, I want nothing to do with those people. I want nothing to do with that history. But as a Jewish person living in America, it is also my responsibility to, to work like hell, to fight like hell for justice and equality for Palestinians and to, to, to de-link Zionism and Judaism as much as possible. That's a mood. All the way. <laughs> that's that's my entire existence. <laughs> it should be. It should be the work of every, you know, of every Jewish person to to really, you know, embody that never again spirit, right? Never again doesn't mean just for us. Never right. again means for everyone. Right. You know, including the the indigenous people on this continent. Totally. Um, you know, who who continue to be dispossessed and ethnically cleansed. And so it's it's a global multi-generational struggle. And one day, I know, one day justice in Palestine will happen. And Jewish people around the world will have to reckon with the legacy, the tarnished, you know, just stain on history that has been Zionism. Can you actually speak to your parents being anti-Zionist as well? Yeah, I know. I'm kind of like a unicorn. <laughs> Although, or was it your community? Like, was it no, a Zionist synagogue? Yeah. I mean, what, what? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, my parents were culturally Jewish. We didn't do a lot of Jewy things. Um, I did go to Hebrew school when I was little. In later years, we belonged to a progressive synagogue. Very radical, kind of non-Zionist. Like, they never talked about Israel, but they didn't also talk about Israel the way that we should have been talking about, you know what I mean? That synagogue is, is now run by very radical, mostly queer people who are just, you know, really determined to, to start tackling Zionism, which is, which is fantastic. But oh, really yeah. it was like, you know, growing up um, in Berkeley in, in the, the 70s and 80s, yeah, my, my parents, my mom especially had a lot of anti-Zionist 
communist friends and community. And that's kind of, that's where I grew up. I'm like really thankful and grateful that I didn't have to go through this moral transformation that so many of our community has had to do. And instead I could, you know, just kind of like keep working, um, keep working on, on, on figuring out how to, how to duplicate anti-Zionism in, you know, around, around me. I talk with, you know, some of my best friends who, who also grew up in very Zionist, you know, pro-Israel households. They went on birthright. They even, some of them even worked on kibbutzes. I have friends who, who are Israeli, who, you know, left as soon as they figured out what was going on and they didn't want to be a part of it and have now, you know, become like really active anti-Zionists. There's so much more work to do, but I think this generation I'm in my forties, but I think, you know, looking at and, and speaking with students on college campuses, like I do almost every day for my job, the young generation of Jews now in this country and in Canada, I think so much hope there. I mean, like, you know, now they're like three generations away from the Zionist project and you know, even how like the, the, the so-called progressives in the 60s were kind of swept up. You know, Chomsky was on a kibbutz, for example. That has really tapered off. Even Chomsky's know? views have evolved. If yeah. you listen to him lately, he's like, he doesn't even, I mean, he doesn't even yeah. identify really with Zionism because he's always saying now, well, it depends on what do you mean by Zionism? What's your right. definition of Zionism? And yeah. he says the definition that he adheres to is one that would not even be accepted as Zionism by Zionism. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, it's really shifted. Chomsky still has, has a way to go. <laughs> you know, he's, he's been really critical of the BDS movement, for example, yeah. for, for reasons that I, I, I still don't really understand. But, you know, that's the old guard. And now we have this, these like super radical, militant, woke AF <laughs> students, you know, like 18, 19, 25, who uh, who are rejecting uh, the the normalization of Zionism as it connects to Judaism? Who are rejecting any propaganda effort like birthright? Who are you know saying like I love being Jewish and I hate Zionism and I'm going to work to help Palestinians liberate themselves? You know, like that that it gave me chills. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, I know, right? Like seriously chills. Oh, that's good. I mean, it's, it gives me chills too. Like, it's, yeah. I, I mean, you know, just even, I was just talking with a student the other day who <laughs> you know, we talk about like cancel culture, Butler University in Indiana yeah. just uh, shut down an event with Angela Davis, Angela Davis being, you know, I don't, she needs no introduction, scholar, abolitionist and radical supporter of Palestinian liberation. The, some Zionists on campus at Butler University complained about Angela Davis's stance on Palestine liberation and the BDS movement. And instead of shutting it down and letting the event go on as it wasn't, I don't think she was even going to be talking about Palestine or BDS. It was basically like a, a forum on anti-racism and abolition. Butler University instead shut it down. And I was talking with the student organizer who, you know, was dealing with the fallout. And, and she was like, look, this just shows how much power students have. You know, that, that like what we do, what we offer, what we plan for the people on campus is threatening the status quo so much 
that an entire university administration feels like they have to capitulate, but we know that it is because we are strong enough to handle this and we're going to make it 10 times better next time. And, and you yeah. know, they're not going to give up. They're, they're going to keep fighting. Just even like five, 10 years ago, students would have been really intimidated by that move. They would have been like, all right, fine. Like, we're just going to go plan something else. You know, it's too much work. It's too much struggle to try and get someone like Angela Davis. We're going to go with, you know, someone else who doesn't really talk about Palestine. Students are like, no, F that. Like, we're we're going to, to redouble our efforts now. And so, yeah, that just, it, it's, uh, it's, it's really fantastic. <laughs> and not to say that students don't have their struggles. They're being put on blacklists, you know, by, by Zionist organizations. They're being spied on by Israel lobby groups on campus. They're being told that, that they're not Jewish enough because they don't support Israel. And so they can't join Hillel, for example, with, you know, commu Jewish communal group on campus. They're, they're, they're sticking with their their principles anyway. And, and that's, that's fantastic. It's phenomenal. I think it's such an interesting moment, the line in the sand with Professor Angela Davis, because you don't even need to know what's going on in Palestine to know that being opposed to Professor Angela Davis puts you on the wrong side of history. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's sort of like a litmus test yeah. for, she's got the most name recognition of, right. you know, most liberation right. groups. And it's like, you're yeah. opposed to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And it shows how just deranged the Israel lobby is that they would, you know, come out on the wrong side of someone like Angela Davis and purport in the same breath, purport to be supporters of civil rights and supporters, of, right. uh, supporters of anti-racism. And so, you they know, purport, like, they purport to be a liberation movement and they are that's against the most insane thing. Yeah. Professor Angela Davis. Yes. They yeah. would look yeah, at, really, they would look yeah. at Kwame Ture and be like, nah, he's an anti-Semite. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yes. like, they don't no, care they about would. facts. No, no. No, furthermore, one more thing about like these generation of younger Jews, I think that we're seeing like a real resurgence of Jewish communism, which yeah. was sort of stamped out by McCarthy era yeah. policies, et cetera. Everybody became very straight laced, you know, right. accept the man type. Right. And so now these kids yeah. are reverting to what happened basically after the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, where yeah. Jews became very active in the union organizing labor movement, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. The Bund movement, as That's well right. as my ancestry is actually involved in founding the United Jewish People's Order in Canada. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? Like we have that, his I want that history. Yeah. To, to to be more known that the that the Bund the the Warsaw Ghetto uprising right. was organized by staunch anti-Zionist communists. You know, 100%. like they were, they that's that's the legacy that that I want I want people to know about. That is um, literally my ancestry, and fantastic. that's like that's what I've always embraced as yeah. my people. Right? Yeah. I don't think I don't right. view Zionists as my people. Yeah. Zionists are like a weird offshoot of Judaism that. Yeah have created this settler colonialist state and tried to conflate the two. Yeah. It, it, it has exploited Judaism, used it and, yeah. and tarnished it. They're yeah. still talking about the Holocaust in 2021. And it's like, 
You have 50,000 plus Holocaust survivors living in poverty in Israel. You all do not care. You all abused a Holocaust survivor, Hetty Epstein, who entered your borders. Yeah. I don't even want to say what they did to her. You know know what I mean? No, it's really true. No, again, they, they use... They use that as a battering ram to silence people, to enact more injustice on Palestinians. It disgusts me to no end. And, you know, I, I just, I, I want to delink <laughs> Zionism and Judaism so bad and, 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 and link it with racist, settler, colonial, white supremacist uh, groups instead. That's where it it Zionism. is that's Zionism that's that. that's yeah. what yeah link zionism <laughs> with that to, to, because that's where it is originally yeah. linked zionism has nothing to do with judaism i mean most of the zionists in the us and canada are christian zionists right like john hagee and these like crazy evangelicals who uh, say they love israel and they you know john hagee has a gymnasium i think in the uh, Ariel settlement in the occupied West Bank named after him. Yeah. Because wish, he has given uh, so much. Yeah. I wish he'd get tried at the Hagee. <laughs> yeah. Ah. <laughs> one day. Good one. One day he will. Yeah. I mean, John Hagee loves Israel because he wants all the Jews to move there. He's he loves the Zionist project. The Zionist project is like, hey, all Jews of the world, you need to come and you know, re uh rec- reclaim your land. And John Hagee and the evangelicals are like, hell yeah, yeah, get out of all these countries and go live. Bring the rapture. Yeah, exactly. So that the Messiah can come back and all of us will be doomed to hellfire, I think, for all of each other. I think that's the story they tell. But like the Christian Zionists are inherently anti-Semitic. And yet we see the Israeli government just like accepting you know, millions of dollars uh, into, you know, settlement construction from these Christian Zionist groups. You see Kufi Christians United for Israel, which is John Hagee's conference that he puts on every year, raising millions and millions of dollars for the Israeli military. I mean, like that, you should look at that and say, what what exactly is Zionism linked to? Zionism is not a liberatory project. Zionism is something pernicious. It is racist. It is it, it, it is it is a settler colonial political ideology that a lot has of, exploited Judaism. A lot of those evangelical Christians are under the false belief that they're helping Christians in yeah. Palestine. Yeah. Meanwhile, Palestinian Christians are oppressed heavily. <laughs> right, remember them? Yeah. Or they just yeah. don't care. They, they yeah. see them as exactly. you know, collateral damage in, right. in the greater good of bringing back the Messiah. By the way, Muslims That's are also true. waiting for the Messiah, but we don't need to try to get all the Jews in <laughs> Palestine for that. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that would go against- In fairness, own- you, guys, you guys are better at waiting. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, this is common. Jews. Yeah. Jews don't love to stand in line. Yeah. yeah we, we don't. We don't. Yeah. Uh, but this is the thing, right? We see that we see Israel regularly align itself with anti-Semites. And if Zionism, yeah. if the premise that Zionism and Judaism were the same thing, if, if that is the premise that they're trying to sell us, well, then that would mean that supporters of Israel would love Jews, right? Simple enough. 
Yeah. But what you're finding is that the people who support Israel, incidentally, don't like Jews very much at all. And no, I mean, they never have. <laughs> they never have. And you, yeah. you mentioned yourself, Netanyahu aligning himself with known anti-Semites, mm -hmm. including leaders of other countries like Orban, Bolsonaro, right. others. Yeah. I mean, this is this is crazy. He's calling Trump. He called, yeah, Trump. He called <laughs> Orban, for example, a friend of Israel. And yes. this is the same guy who praised Nazi collaborators. Yeah. Right. So what's what are we talking about here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's exactly it. What we have, what Israel is, is an imperialist project. And all imperialist projects, like the US, like Canada, like, you know, places in Europe, they make friends with other imperialist projects. And, you know, they have shared values of ethnic cleansing and colonization and you know, resource extraction, captive labor forces, like, you know, all, all the things that are the hallmarks of imperialist centers of power. Racism. They're all there. Racism, absolutely. I mean, that is like the calling card of, of imperialism and capitalism. Let's not forget that um, Herzl was good buddies with Cecil Rhodes. They exchanged letters like they were know. lovers. I mean, Israel and apartheid South Africa had a an yep. enormous weapons contract yes. agreement and political alliance, obviously, you know, and that that's not by mistake. That's because yep. white settler colonial societies need other white settler colonial societies in order to maintain power. And speaking of which, there is a South African farmer who converted to Judaism, moved to Israel and is now occupying and settling in the West Bank. Right. I mean, settlers going to settler, right? Like <laughs> settles going to settle. <laughs> exactly. That's I mean, and, you know, I, 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 uh, I just um, that's 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 it. I mean, you see. Yeah, you see, you know, people who were very upset that they couldn't be the, you know, apartheid ruling class in, in South Africa anymore. They immediately went to Israel. It's like all the businesses was, that moved like out of home. California. You know what I mean? They're just like, we're not, we can't pay taxes here anymore. We're moving to Texas. Ew, equality. Ew, no, <laughs> yeah. no. Like, I want to go somewhere where I'm still like higher than other people. Right. Um, so that's, that's, that's that. Yeah. I mean, they just again, followed, the, they followed the supremacist wave, you know, they yes. just surfed it into yeah, exactly. wherever they end up. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier this on this notion of obsession with academia that Zionists mm. are, target, are targeting very heavily students and scholars. And that's really been the majority of their focus in trying to yeah. silence any sort of critique of Israel. And I, I want to shift the focus a little bit and talk about what some of our professors in the United States have had to deal with. One of the most recent examples was the case of Steve Salida, who even mm -hmm. after thousands of scholars pledged to boycott the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, it still persisted in dismissing Professor Steve Salida from a tenured faculty position because of his personal tweets about Israel's assault on Gaza in mm -hmm. July 2014, which of course resulted in the killing of thousands of Palestinians. He was never reinstated. There's also the story of Jewish American professor Norman Finkelstein, which we all remember from many years ago, who was denied tenure at DePaul University due to his criticism of Israeli policy. There are professors who have been forced to resign for taking positions supporting Palestinian rights. Cornell West, we talked about recently, left Harvard because they wouldn't grant him tenure and he 
was very vocal that this was due to his position in supporting Palestinian rights. There have been other professors who have been simply forced to resign. There have been professors who have been investigated and forced through highly contentious procedures for their support for Palestinian rights, including Palestinian American professors. I can think of, you know, Professor Rashid Khalidi, Professor Joseph Massad, Professor Nadia Abu Hajj, who were all at Columbia. These individuals were um, eventually granted tenure, but not without a fight. So right. those seeking to support to really silence support for Palestinian rights, they know that their focus is in bullying students and you know, smear campaigns and threatening professors and getting them fired. They mm -hmm. are obsessed with targeting academia. They focus on students because yeah. they're the young generation because they are going to create the critical mass that is going to have an eventual impact on public policy because as you know, their opinions change and as they diverge from the previous generations and then they grow up and they you know, get into different positions and you know, public and private sector, they are going to lead to that shift. So students are number one, but also mm -hmm. professors because if you have professors that are promoting this idea of human rights for Palestinians, what a crazy idea, right? You know, what an yeah. absurd idea that people who have lived in their homes should not be kicked out of them. They shouldn't right. be bulldozed, that they shouldn't have to live under a siege that locks them in cages, you know, for absolutely no reason. If you have professors that highlight these injustices, that try to correct the history that has been covered up and, you know, erased completely and censored, uh, you know, at, at every step of the way, well, then that also is going to undermine the pro-Zionist narrative. So they know that their focus is on academia and they know that they have to do everything they can to um, intimidate professors and students alike. Yeah. And that is actually part of a coordinated effort that works in conjunction with targeting businesses, suing people, yeah. as well as the informational warfare that they spend a good percentage of their budget on, right? They have stated that informational warfare is the next battlefront and yeah. that they have to get in front of the narrative, basically control the narrative, yeah. rewrite the narrative. A Produce a faulty yeah. narrative right, right. and just spread propaganda. And like you said, play whack-a-mole and knock down yeah. anybody who tries to bring up the truth. Yeah. I mean, they have entire, you know, they call them like war rooms at, at Israeli institutions. Um, hey, describe where... what a war room looks like for people. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, in this sense, a war room, are, it looks like an office. Mm. Um, there cubicles. are cubicles and computers and Israeli soldiers uh, sometimes, or just Israeli researchers, you know, college students who are working in conjunction with the military and Israel's surveillance apparatus to, you know, do kind of from the mundane, like post on Facebook, cool things about Israel as like little propaganda things to the more pernicious, which is like spying on students uh, and and adding them to blacklists and threatening people. And there's actually an app, act.il. It's an app. I don't recommend you download it. A colleague of mine, Michael Buchert, who's a researcher in Montreal, he, uh, and also the vice president of Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East, he runs a uh, a Twitter account called the Anti-BDS app. And it basically just posts screenshots of these like missions that this app, which is funded by the Israeli government with all of these Israeli institutions, these missions that the app sends users on to you know, harass uh, students, to harass university administrations, 
to call on people like Lana Del Rey, for example, who uh, at, you know, at the very last minute, a couple of years ago, decided not to uh, play for an apartheid audience in Tel Aviv, thank you, to harass cultural figures, performers say that like Israel is such a wonderful multicultural country and we're you know we have some some problems but you know it's all because of terrorists that hate us and hate Jews they're treating human rights like Pokemon Go yeah <laughs> right it's gross Th this app so you're describing funded. people who are paid by the Israeli government yes to post favorable things about Israel in the comment section right hey, basically hey. yeah oppression yeah, Oppression. There's an app for it. You know what I mean? Right. Basically. But they, so but all those like, trolls that we interact with are literally paid civil servants of Israel. hundred percent. That's why I don't ever debate I mean, them. I don't why ever. Else would you, why else, why else would you like protect and defend this like cruel apartheid racist state? Can like, you imagine? Data, right? Can you, but, yeah, can you yes. imagine how pathetic you have to be to get up, not get paid? and defend right. apartheid i mean that it's right. it's a whole other level i yeah. super you don't know, respect look, yeah. anybody that's not getting paid <laughs> right. you know what i mean if you're not getting paid don't even talk to me right <laughs> i mean this app has also tried to influence local politics like they go after local city councils that are thinking about doing uh you know a bds resolution you know that the, the the city of whatever won't you know do contracts with businesses that support the settlements or you know something like very kind of mundane like that or in the past year they've been sending their users on missions to flood the california department of education with messages saying that they object to the ethnic studies model curriculum that the state had passed a law that they would adopt, which dares to mention Palestinians and dared to mention the BDS movement and define it accurately. We are now left with, because of not just these bots and trolls flooding the CDE's comment section, but also like, you know, Zionist organizations around the state and around the country, we are now left with ethnic studies model curriculum in this state that is completely, it, it, all mention of Palestine has been erased. All mention of the BDS movement has been erased. And uh, Jewish studies was not just incorporated into the ethnic studies model curriculum, but was put into Asian American studies, yeah. further trying to like indigenize Jews right. to the land of Israel. Well, except for when so, they play the Euro Cup, because then they want to be European, right? So sometimes they're European, know, totally. sometimes they're indigenous. <laughs> They won Eurovision. Eurovision. Right. Eurovision, Eurovision yeah. right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's just kind of like a matter of convenience. If Israel is at all offended by anything anywhere, no one can have nice things, right? We can't have an ethnic studies model curriculum passed in the state that is that is anything related to the original conception by the authors, the scholars of ethnic studies that have been in this fight for 50 years. They literally um, invented the field. Exactly. All 20 of the original authors of the curriculum left in disgust. They, they had their names taken off the curriculum just a couple of weeks ago. Actually, we have a... a because of the, a, because of the of omission of Palestine. The removal of Palestine. Yes. Well, that's so lucky they, because yeah. their names were going to be removed anyways. So, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but what does it say about who you are and what your message is when you have yeah. to erase our entire existence? Like we're not even right. allowed to exist right. and say... Right where right. we came from, where my grandmother was born. I can't, even that 
saying that is inflammatory. Saying yeah. that is, 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 is like an act of aggression yeah. because it directly combats all of the myths upon which Zionism was built. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's so interesting how pro-Israel lobby has always tried to get very creative in the ways mm -hmm. that they use, you know, the lawfare, you know, in the ways yeah. that, they, that they strategize to target activists. They knew, for example, that they could not lobby the states to directly pass laws that would take away, for example, your right to boycott. So they had to do it in sort of like a backdoor way where, you right. know, put people on blacklist, you include certain, you know, amendments or clauses in government contracts saying that you agree to never boycott Israel. So you prevent people from getting hired or, or gaining contracts in certain cases. And you also, there's also the issue of the pension fund divestment. So many of the anti-boycott bills or laws require that state pension funds um, divest from companies that boycott Israel or have, you know, expressed that they support the boycott movement. So mm -hmm. it's this very strange reality where they're just trying to come up with the most creative solution ever to yeah. completely yeah. silence any critique yeah. of Israel. It, it, it's very different from what you see in Europe, for example. So France, which was also, uh, you know, very critical of the, the BDS movement uh, and also passed yeah. laws to restrict BDS, did so very overtly. You could just, you simply could not call Absolutely. for BDS. Right. And, and just by calling for BDS in a public forum, you were engaging in discriminatory speech. That's what the, right. the situation was in France. Right. So that's much more direct and much more clear cut. And of course, this rule in France, this law in France was eventually struck down by the European uh, Court of Human Rights for violating the European Convention on Human Rights, notably the provision which protects the right to free speech. But France right. didn't care and continued right. to instruct its prosecutors to investigate those who engage in calls for BDS. So you know, again, totally outrageous. What is this exceptionalism that is, right. you know, it's constant. It's like the, the Zionists will always say, well, you treat Israel differently. It's like, no, we don't treat Israel differently. We are just asking that it be held accountable when it breaks the law. And, and, and you know, like anywhere else. Yeah. You know, for a situation like the one that we have in France, it's one of the first rules of European law that European law is supreme to national law. And so France absolutely has to follow the yeah. European Convention on Human Rights, which it is signatory to, and the rulings of, you know, the European Court on Human Rights. They were required to pay fines to the, those activists who they themselves had fined for engaging in calls to boycott Israeli products exactly. at the supermarket. So this is what we're dealing with here. It's like the Zionists have come up with, you know, depending on the jurisdiction that they're in, the way that they believe that they can waste people's time the longest, you know, and in the U.S. it was like, yeah. no, we can't make it that, that clear cut. We have to trap people. We have to confuse people. We have to confuse people. We have to trap people in a very complex legal process by creating very obscure laws and regulations and lists and all sorts of things. And that's exactly the point. It's to confuse people. It's to make people not even really aware of what we're talking about. Nora, I read in one of your articles that the Israeli lobby worked with a lawyer in California to try and get the courts to apply Israeli law. <laughs> yep. And it's like, wow, that's pretty wild because they can't yeah. even apply Israeli law in Israel or the settlements <laughs> wouldn't be there. That. You know? Okay. It's, it's, uh, that, that was really good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just like the audacity. So a, a Palestinian American activist was really upset by the 2018 sniper murder. Understandably um, so. 
by yeah by an Israeli sniper of uh, Razan uh, Najjar in the Gaza Strip during the Great March of Return. She's like a, a very young uh, nurse mm -hmm. medic uh, who was treating someone and was shot in the back. Um, and there's you know evidence that that it was a it was a sniper killing. I mean like like he he like saw her killing. absolutely. It was in the New York Times. Absolutely, nothing yeah, happened exactly. Yeah, it was very clear. This activist was was very upset, and she posted a picture of Razan next to a, a kind of like a stock photo of an Israeli soldier. And she, you know, just to kind of like point out the dichotomy of like, here's a Palestinian trapped in the Gaza Strip who is not able to go back to her homeland because Israel and Zionism and, and has been killed by a foreign occupier. Some of the foreign soldiers come from the U.S. where, where you know, where, where this activist was and they get to go over there. They get given a gun and they're, you know, able to shoot Palestinians and they call that Jewish liberation. Um, the lone wolf soldier yeah. program. <laughs> yeah, not lone wolf, but yes, lone wolf, lone soldier. But yeah, lone wolf. Absolutely. Um, that but, was purposeful. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Good. Um, so yeah, so she just kind of like, and, and this photo of the Israeli soldier, Israeli American soldier was used by the Israeli army itself on its, on their Facebook page to kind of, you know, boast and brag about how cool it is to be a lone soldier. Because they um, sexualize the girls in the IDF, hoping oh, that they can attract men absolutely. who will move to the country and spend their resources within the country. That's true. Yeah. That's a different story, though. But yes, That's a whole different <laughs> podcast. Um, but yes, so the Israeli soldier who was who let her image be used by the Israeli military then was really upset that that you know she was being called out. Um, you know, and and in no way did the activist uh, who posted those pictures say that this woman specifically in this photo was the sniper that killed Razan. No way did she say. She even clarified it and said like. I'm not saying that this is the person who did this. Nevertheless, the soldier was really upset and claims that she, you know, it was, it was a very mentally stressed her out. So she must have been tough for her. Yeah, so sad living in Israel. So she, instead of having some moral transformation where she was like, maybe what I'm doing is not a good thing. And maybe I've been wrong about this. Instead, she decided to double down on her settler colonialism and sue the Palestinian American activist for defamation. Now in California, where the activist lives, there's only one year statute of limitations for defamation suits. In Israel, it's something like seven years. So the Israeli they hold soldier, a grudge. They sure do. So the Israeli soldier got Sharat Hadin, which is an Israeli lawfare organization linked to the Mossad, Israel's secret spying agency. Explain lawfare for people who don't understand. Lawfare is using the law to harass and bully people. So it's warfare, but with the law. Exactly. Waste she, people's time, waste people's resources. Exactly. Completely. People physically. Exactly. And let me, Mental, let me take, absolutely. Let me take a moment and shout out my good friend, Kim at yes. Food Vendors, who's dealing with this exact situation right now. They cut out all of her third party vendors. They tried to get everybody yeah. to boycott her and they are dragging her through numerous legal battles. So yeah, this is lawfare in action. Yes. Right. So Sharad Hadin is an explicit lawfare organization. They've sued people around the world for doing BDS. So this Israeli soldier enlists Sharad Hadin to represent her for this defamation suit. Sharad Hadin then 
links up with a California-based attorney. Wisner. Right, exactly, in Southern California. And together, they try and make the California court apply Israeli defamation law in this suit. And the California court was like, the yeah, fuck? we're not going to do that. <laughs> Remember when all those states passed the anti-Sharia laws? Yeah. yeah that's that's different. different. It's Muslims. And we all know they're Completely trying to bring unrelated. it to America. Completely I would be willing to bet that not a single Muslim has ever argued that some sort of Islamic law should apply in America. But, you know, here we are with several states who have already right. passed anti-Sharia right. legislation. Right. Meanwhile, yeah. Zionists and their, you know, supporters are arguing for the enforcement of Israeli law yeah. in the U.S. And why is that? Because Israeli law right. on defamation actually is very strict and even yeah. has criminal consequences. Yeah. They oh, like to be locked a year up. in jail. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, it's incredible. So yeah, just again, like the audacity. We know that you have a system of laws and, and precedent that you've used for <laughs> generations or whatever. It's not legitimate because right. you stole it from no. Native people, but we are going to ask you right. to apply ours. Yes, right. From it's, a it's, newer settler colonial It's absolutely state. amazing. Amazing. But the case was thrown it's, away. You know, she case was, was thrown out. And not only that, but the Palestinian American activist gets to collect damages. I so mean, the Israeli lawyers and the soldier have to pay her legal fees. I, you know, it's a whole process. But yes. we love to see. And <laughs> what's in, what's interesting about this? I mean, there's so many things. But like Sharat Hadin, which is a very well-funded lawfare organization that exists just to bully and harass people. They were able to raise $200,000 from people to support this. Like they were putting a lot into this case. They really thought they were going to win. I mean, yeah, you know why? Because if they were able to create the precedent in yeah. one court in the United States that was willing to consider Israeli law, I mean, yeah. come on. I mean, it would have been. It would have opened the floodgates. Exactly. For, it would have been. That would have been a home run for them. Yeah. yeah they were really counting on this. And they lost, and that's significant. And just like a week later, a, another California court in Southern California threw out a, a total spurious lawsuit against UCLA filed by this like serial litigant, this Zionist who tried to sue UCLA into giving up the names of students who had organized and the speakers at the National SJP conference in 2018. So, and that was, you know, like all of these Israeli organizations were, you know, sure that they were going to get this win as well. And they got a big fat L. Shouldn't have gone to a lawsuit because, you know, UCLA should have just at, at the get go, they should have been like, yeah, we're not doing this. But the court agreed that it was that it would have have put the students and these speakers in harm's way because these organizations, these, these kinds of serial litigants all they want to do is bully people into silence so exactly. i mean did they say what they were going to do with the information oh they did not yeah. they did not but it was really you know it was very clear yeah. that what they do with this information is harmful you know we yeah. can see what happens with canary mission we can see what yeah. happens when students try to get jobs number one google search is that you know if they're an anti-semite right that they like you know collaborate with terrorists sort of thing like completely fabric of course completely fabricated completely nonsense fabricated. are you just on, to smear their 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 reputation are you on canary mission 
Um, I haven't checked in a while. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not like on there. Desperate to get I'm on. not on there, and I'm actually really offended. I think you I'm, can put yourself on there. Like no, I, I think you can. That's come on. I'm not gonna write my own Wikipedia page. Come on. <laughs> uh, I know, I'm like, but it's if like I'm not on there. I'm not like, doing it right. That's right. I feel like I haven't earned my stripes yet. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. I was on something in the in the like early mid 2000s called the S H I T list, the self hating uh. Israel leftists something wow. Israel, you're an og something. you're on, i'm an you're og on, it was on like before the canary yes, mission it was like a respect it was great. thank you it was yeah. great and not only was i on it but my mother was on it too wow. it family, affair. family yeah. affair it was a great organizing tool because i was like oh who was involved in like in all this. I'd look yeah, on the shit list together. and it was like oh they have awesome. no idea how helpful i love you yeah. <laughs> thanks for doing this work yeah, exactly. An org chart? Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> just insane. Can you guys send me the PDF? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it was it was great. It looked like a GeoCities page from like 1996. Yeah, yeah, like it was sure. totally hilarious. But it also had people like Zippy Livney on it, <laughs> like the, the former foreign minister, and like, I mean, it was like anyone who was not like a kahanist you know like oh because like she's a, not great either like i was no she's she's <laughs> she's, she's a worse crime suspect you know like exactly no 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 it was just that she didn't she didn't do the genocide hard enough you yeah, know what yeah, i mean yeah, like yeah. like whoever put this list together was like you gotta go yeah. all in sort of thing yeah. so that, and then that got taken down sometime like 10 years ago and then uh yeah, I don't know about Canary Mission now. <laughs> with respect to these court decisions, mm -hmm. it seems like it's fair to say that the judicial branch is the only branch of government that has not been like fully infiltrated and influenced by Zionist policy, right? Yeah. Because anything that goes before the floor of the House is considered by Zionist lobbies. Obama told us that, you know, the Senate, obviously the same thing. And we've got Joe Biden. We would have created Israel if it didn't exist. Yeah, the judiciary often tends to be less susceptible to political influence and outside influence, especially in a yeah. system where, like the U.S., where right. we really rely on case law and precedent and judges have sort of a lawmaking role in the way that they, you know, shape the evolution of the interpretation of, of law. So this is, this is you know, kind of a typical feature of, of common law systems. And it is, you know, a space for hope for Palestinian activists, mm -hmm. knowing that, okay, yeah, you're going to sue me, but I'm going to get the right decision. Right. I'm going to get a Absolutely. decision that upholds the constitution and freedom of speech. Right. And that doesn't paint me as an anti-Semite because I want to exist as a person, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's this wonderful organization I encourage everyone to check out, especially if you're like a young activist or a student, or it's called Palestine Legal, palestinelegal.org. It's like a, a, a wasteland before Palestine Legal came onto the scene, you know? Like there was, yes. students were holding bake sales to have events that would be shut down by Zionists and everyone would be smeared as anti-Semitic and they had no recourse. And now Palestine Legal is there um, they are just a phenomenal group of lawyers yes. and advocates who who take this stuff very seriously and are able to remind university administrations <laughs> that advocating for Palestinian rights is not an act of anti-Semitism, that it is part of free speech and political opinion and political speech and expression and all of that. And they will go to court for you. I mean, they went to yes. court 
for people at UCLA. They, you know, they've been they've been at the forefront of defending students' rights to advocate for Palestinian liberation. They have like all these databases where you can yes. look up which states uh, have passed BDS anti BDS laws. It's called the Right to Boycott dot org right to boycott.org part of palestine legal and they have this uh, document that has a timeline of how yes. israel lobby groups have the toolkit um, the toolkit exactly yeah. uh, of the international holocaust remembrance alliances so-called definition of anti-semitism the ihra definition which is uh, it's 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 disgusting it conflates judaism and zionism they turned the definition of anti-Semitism into anti-Semitism. Yeah, it's, it's just the, the mental gymnastics pretty, that it took. Pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Yeah, no, I, crazy. I want to I just say I, yeah. I relied a lot on uh, the sources that Palestine Legal yeah. put together as I was yeah, preparing for this episode. They do such so phenomenal work, and I'm going to post all of the resources that good. I use on our website. So good. big shout out to them. Thank you yeah. so much for all the work that you do. You guys are amazing. The I hope we can meet them soon and, and have them all Yeah. Uh, absolutely yeah. that legal imbalance that existed and to some extent still exists because the lawfare firms have a ton more money and more resources at their disposal that mirrors the imbalance of power that exists all over palestine right yes. where you have soldiers and armored tanks with guns machine guns shields fighting against people who are throwing rocks occasionally yeah. right yeah. and then you know it's it just shows the imbalance of power that has existed and does exist in every single sphere of palestinian existence let's talk about the latest development in efforts yeah. to silence supporters of Palestinian rights, there has been this attempt to codify the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism. There are several points that are problematic. Yeah. One is accusing the Jews as a people or Israel, right? So Jews right. or Israel right. inventing like the, the, the Holocaust. So, you know, Jews and right. Israel are going hand in hand, right. um, accusing Jewish citizens of being more loyal to Israel. Right, right. Um, denying the Jewish people their right to self-determination, e.g. by claiming the, that the existence of the state of Israel is a racist endeavor. Right. I mean, by right. definition, it's racist because that's literally <laughs> the law in Israel is that right. it's a Jewish state, even though the people within its borders are not only Jewish. So by definition, Israel is a racist state, but you're not allowed to call it that right? because that would be anti-Semitism, even though right. that's what Israel calls itself. Right. So Israel is anti-Semitic. Right. Yes. Right. And Zionism is anti-Semitic. You know, this whole like, it's so crazy, like accusing Jews of having a, a you know, dual loyalty or like a loyalty to Israel. Um, I mean, this is what like Israel's leaders say, you know, after after there's there's a massacre in France a couple of years back at a synagogue. And I think it was Netanyahu who came yeah. um, and said, like, you know, you know, you you should should you know go come to israel. israel like yep. you're not safe here come to israel and and the french jews were like yeah no we're french because <laughs> if it's you one know, thing about french people it's that they identify they, as french they love being, so the israeli government accuses jews all the time insinuates you know, insinuates that we have a dual loyalty right yeah, well, so they're they're doing yeah, anti-semitism they're, they're they're doing an anti-semitism yeah they also say so anyway HRA definition applying double standards by requiring of Israel a behavior not expected or demanded of any other democratic nation. This is right. really weird because what is 
what is the test by which we're going to uh, try to assess whether or not we are requiring these things from another democratic state? So does yes. do I, as a Palestinian activist then, have to be constantly involved in activism in all other states that define themselves as democratic and identifying every single human rights violation that exists in order to prove that I'm not an anti-Semite? Yes. I've literally had people <laughs> be like, why aren't yes, you talking it. about every single yeah, human rights course. atrocity that right. exists? Otherwise, mm -hmm. you're an anti-Semite. And I'm right. like, I, well, first why of all, aren't you I, boycotting China? Right? right. Like I've heard that one before. And it's like <laughs> they have human rights violations. Well, so you're admitting <laughs> Israel has human rights violations. Yeah. The right. problem with human they right. have no or like if it's an ethno state, they're like, there are tons right. of other ethno states. Do you have a problem <laughs> right. with them? Well, and it's actually, like, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we do. That's the point. <laughs> But also an anti-imperialist. I mean, it's relevant for us to all of us to be involved in this particular liberation struggle first and foremost. Yes, we have allyship right. and we ally our, ourselves with any oppressed people, especially those that are resisting racism and all forms of uh, oppression. But yeah. as Palestinians, as Americans, as Jews, we have a stake in how this turns out because it affects us yeah. personally. Yeah. So it's like why are you singling israel out for special you know for special scrutiny and then also like why aren't you looking at israel as a special exception yes, <laughs> yes. This, like which one is it it kind yes. of just depends on the context, say it again apparently. nora say it again <laughs> okay, so on that point the last <laughs> bullet point in the ihra definition is holding jews collectively responsible for actions of the state of israel when israel itself right. says it represents all jews right it's it's so it's complete madness and it, and this is why people have been saying that the IHRA definition is fraudulent and it is problematic and it um, it reinforces you know the the conflation of of Judaism and Zionism. But we also so, have to remember the context in which the IHRA yeah. definition arose, right? Right. Remember right. that Zionists tried for years to smear student activists of Palestinian rights as anti-Semitic and they were right. not successful. So right. this I took from the Palestine Legal Resource. They talk about how between 2008 and 2014, pro-Israel groups filed several federal complaints against three University yeah. of California campuses, as well as Rutgers University, and every single complaint was dismissed. And so it is then when the pro-Israel supporters looked at these results, they said, okay, well, if the Palestinian activists are not involved in the anti-Semitism by the traditional definition, we essentially yeah. have to rewrite the definition of anti-Semitism to fit Israel critique. Right. They move that's the goalposts. Exactly they they move the goalposts like, they do. like they do with everything else. <laughs> exactly. If you've ever been in a conversation exactly. with Zionists, you start yeah. out talking about one thing and by the end, you're like, what does Hamas have to do with this? It always, it always comes back to that. Absolutely. That has made it into law in certain European countries, also in, in Canada, um, certain it was provinces. Almost, yeah. Almost adopted, adopted in Ontario. But there has been significant pushback. And here in the US, obviously, like the, you know, the IHRA. Trump adopted it by executive order, but I don't really know what that means. Like, yeah, what does that yeah. mean? Right. It means that it's, it's, it's in effect. And I doubt, I mean, I would bet, I would bet, you know, my, uh, my next paycheck <laughs> that Biden will not repeal that executive order. He'll do other executive Absolutely orders, not. you know, but he Absolutely is very not. content no. with Trump's, you know, continuation of the uh, support 
of of Israeli apartheid. And there's nothing, as as Biden himself said, nothing will fundamentally change under his administration, especially when it comes to uh, Palestinians. Push this uh, bogus definition of anti-Semitism away from- Exactly. Yeah, exactly, completely. Right, like, like to 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 push this definition in order to silence and confuse people, and also like, it it, it doesn't say anything about about white. Like there has been no investigation into white supremacists. It and, says nothing and, about white supremacists. It says yeah, nothing, hey, nothing about who, who exactly. is it? Who is it that's <laughs> actually the biggest threat to Jews in America? Right. Is it Palestinians or white supremacists? Asking Depends on for who myself. You ask. Yeah. Right, exactly. If you are a supporter of Israel, it's Palestinians. Mm, weird. <laughs> right. But if you look at the facts and mm-hmm. statistics, it's white supremacist groups. Who literally um, have rallies, who have rallies in right. America in 2021. Yeah. So now there is something called the Jerusalem Declaration yeah. on Anti-Semitism, which was just dropped. New definition just dropped. Remix. <laughs> Remix, right? Who who wrote this one? Bam, 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 bam. DJ Apartheid. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this one is like a little better. Okay. I mean, we're talking like from from a level of like garbage to yeah. like, you know, just a little bit above. A little so, bit. So right. The Jerusalem Declaration was written by a few hundred scholars on anti-Semitism and Jewish studies. So again, you're like, okay, great. These people actually like know what they're talking about. Yeah. For like the, the first few points, they're pretty good. It's like, you know, anti-Semitism is a hatred of Jews because they're Jews. Great. We have no problem with that. And also like actually like de-link Zionism and Judaism. It says only Jews can live in Jerusalem. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> yeah, kidding. right. That's, no. <laughs> that's the one, that's their private version. Uh. <laughs> right, no. It, so so it, it, it asserts that opposition to Zionism, criticism of Zionism, criticism of Israel and Israel's settler colonial system, these are not acts of anti-Semitism. Great, fantastic. This right. is what we've been saying Love all it. along. Even support of the BDS movement is not anti-Semitic. Excellent. Like, glad we're on the same level here in terms of facts. Then it kind of gets a little murky. So the the Palestinian Boycott National Committee, the BNC, which is kind of like the umbrella coalition of, of many civil society groups in Palestine, came out and, you know, a few days ago and said, well, this can be really you know, positive in the fight to combat anti-Semitism. We have a couple of issues with this. One is that Palestinian perspectives are not included at all. Like there's no Palestinians. There's not even like a mention really of like, you know, Palestinian liberation movements. Yet it is centered really on what's happening in Israel-Palestine. What the BNC said was like, along with the declarations, I love this, they're so petty and and so righteous. Along with the declaration's unfortunate title and most of its guidelines, it is focused on Palestine, Israel, and Zionism unjustifiably reinforcing attempts to couple anti-Jewish racism with the struggle for Palestinian liberation and therefore impacting our struggle, right? So, so there still is this like, you know, even though we, the definition is like 
on the one hand, like decoupling Judaism and Zionism, it still is reinforcing the coupling of Judaism and Zionism by centering Israel as like the focus around which all anti-Semitism analysis should be centered. You ever read a paper that a student submitted that actually disproves their thesis? <laughs> like they have written one of those before in college. <laughs> I'm talking about my own paper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I've been there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Start out with like a that. Right. very clear banger point, banger and point. Yeah. By page five, I'm like, wow, I'm wrong. Tight. But then you just quickly, you know, sum up. You just, you just hit double exactly. space and you turn right. it in, baby. You're fine. No, there's nobody looking this over, there's actually. Really, yeah. I mean, you know, once again. Because like, again, white supremacy, by the way, and fascism yeah. is also missing from yes. the Jerusalem Declaration. And that's that's and another and main point. Yeah. Right. That they're like, hi, the main purveyors of violence against Jews are white supremacists. Well, us. white supremacists have right. good PR because they keep, you know, just magically yeah. not appearing in right. any of the relevant, it's you know, discussions about their... Just amazing. You also, just so amazing. you really don't want to upset Israel's allies. You know what I mean? No, you don't. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. So, so, okay. So we have this Dr Jerusalem Declaration and it has these inherent problems. Is it better than the IHRA? Yeah. I mean basically anything is better than the IHRA. Very low point. bar. Right. It's the lowest bar. Bar is on the floor. But, you know, but still it kind of like polices Palestinian speech, what they can and can't say about Israel. And so we still have a long way to go on this. Unfortunately, like it should, it should just be a one sentence thing. Like yeah, that's, that's what I is the hatred of Jews. Right, so right, 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 right. That's what I was going to ask because like yeah. anti-Semitism has existed for a very long yes. time, right? Yes. Thousands of years for as long as Jews have existed, right? right. So right. why do we need new definitions? And right. why was the former definition of anti-Semitism, the one that has lasted for, you know, millennia, not yeah. a good one anymore? Right. Because so, Israel. Right. Right. Because, because how, how would you define anti-Semitism? I mean, what is the definition of anti-Semitism really? Like the real, yeah, it is the hatred of definition. Jews, yeah, right, because they're Jewish. The horrible stereotypes and uh, policies that negatively exactly. affect Jewish people, right. like exactly. not renting to Jewish right. people, right. discriminating against Jewish right. people. This is like those are real examples right. of anti Semitism, right? Saying free Palestine on the right. internet is actually not anti-Semitism. Right. But, you know, those who want to protect Israel from any and all criticism would beg to differ. Yeah, but I think it's interesting too, to recall that the, you know, the call for BDS itself expressly condemns all forms of racism and discrimination, Absolutely. including expressly anti-Semitism, which yes. is again, another reason why, you know, the Zionists, when they looked around and they were like, okay, well, BDS itself, uh, actually, it's not that problematic. All right, what are we going to do? We can't control BDS. They, you know, speak out against anti-Semitism. Okay, let's rewrite anti-Semitism. Right. And it's actually so Absolutely. interesting. There's so, there are literal Nazis marching in the streets and the Zionists are hyper-focused on Palestinians talking about their own liberation as yeah. if that is the main purveyor of anti-Semitism. They're completely ignoring Nazis. Yeah. Nazis. Yes. It's uh, I wish it wasn't so shocking, you know, like I wish I wish I wasn't so shocked every time I think about this. They're not even like cloaked anymore. Like they're mm -hmm. in khakis and carrying torches yeah. on college campuses. Like they, they have Facebook groups. Torches. Like somebody <laughs> they, went to Home Depot 
Right. You know, somebody took a truck to Home Depot, yeah. bought 400 torches, you know, place an order. You got to be so conflicted as the people who sold them those torches. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you're like, it's a big order. It is, but it, <laughs> yeah. okay, it's white supremacy. All right. You guys have uh, a barbecue? But, like, what's going on? <laughs> the tiki party? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's great. Why are you all dressed the same? Oh, yeah, God. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, they were they were screaming the, the Jews will not replace us. And it's like, yeah, my sure guy, did. I have no interest. I know. I yeah, I'm good. Where like, did you what did you think I was gonna replace you where, at? What are we replacing? Right? Like <laughs> the KKK doesn't want I don't me. Don't understand it. I know. Yeah, we're we're good. Thanks. Uh, I have all these like, you know brand new definitions when yeah. we should just be focusing on the original one because it's still yeah. irrelevant i think yeah. the issue yeah. with the old definition of anti-semitism is that it actually includes non-jews it includes people who yeah. are mistaken for being jewish which can also include other semites like palestinians and so it's this clear way of delineating anti-semitism yeah. as to only apply to jewish people when that has not been the case because if you assume that somebody is jewish and you attack them and they're not jewish they're no that's they're no less a victim of anti-semitism yeah i guess it's not it's not times people ask me if i was jewish when i was growing up and I was yeah like, of course no, i'm not yeah. like you look jewish i'm like yeah, yeah. it's not like somebody who was yeah. beaten up can be like oh i'm actually not jewish and it's no longer anti-semitism you know what i yeah. mean if that person exactly. was palestinian that means that it's still anti-semitism yeah yep so yeah these efforts to bully and silence supporters of palestinian rights do you have a sense nora that bds has been successful in achieving its goals so we obviously have not yet yeah. achieved the end of the occupation the return right. to refugees or the end of apartheid yet, which right. are the stated right. aims of the BDS movement. But momentum is certainly building and there have been wins, yeah. especially on the boycott and divestment front. You know, the general consensus around the world is that Israel is a pariah state, just as the US is a pariah state, you know, and it's a matter of getting there. I think we are getting there. The boycott and divestment worlds are exceedingly popular and they're gaining momentum every year. I don't know. I, I'm just so like taken, my breath is taken away when I, when I read through the actual, like the amount of victories that we've had just, you know, over one year. BDS is the only thing Corona couldn't stop. <laughs> it's it's right. amazing. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, the, the boycott movement, you know, especially in Europe has been gaining ground. You know, there's, there's this whole campaign to accurately label uh, products made in illegal Israeli settlement colonies. Um, that I think is is a is a big win. There are councils around Spain that that they've called themselves like anti-apartheid zones, and they have basically ruled that their municipalities will not do business with with Israel. And then there's you know the student boycott movement. I mean, and, and divestment movement. You know, from like students petitioning their school cafeterias. I, I know this happened at DePaul a million years ago in Chicago to de-shelve Sabra Hummus, for example. Sabra Hummus is owned by the Strauss Group. The Strauss Group, Strauss Group used to, I think still does, um, uh, like fund a, a, one of the most violent um, wings of the Israeli military. It's also um, named after a massacre. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's 
just deranged. Um, and all- it's trash hummus. It's terrible. And there was like listeria in it. Like, <laughs> and I think it's an Arabic word. It is sabra, yeah. which is which is a cactus. <laughs> it's an right. Arabic word. Exactly. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> so, you know, stuff like that, like students taking it upon themselves to organize these campaigns to boycott products. You know, there's like the church boycotts of Hewlett Packard. Um, Hewlett Packard is a massive corporation, of course, that you know they they make printers and stuff, but they also make biometric equipment for Israeli checkpoints in the occupied West Bank. And so there has been this massive Hewlett Packard uh, boycott campaign um, that like, you know, churches and, and community organizations have taken, uh, taken up. So there's the consumer boycott. And then there's the divestment piece of all of this, which is also mostly engineered by students who are going to their university administrations and passing resolutions in student government saying that we demand that our tuition dollars be pulled out of corporations that support the Israeli occupation of Palestine. Administrations have these like massive portfolio, investment portfolios. You know, there's like hundreds and hundreds of corporations. If you're at a public university, you can go and actually get those documents. And, you know, especially here in California, I believe all but one university campus, the nine undergraduate UCs have passed divestment resolutions. Some of them have passed it more than one time. And then all across the country, I mean, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of resolutions that have been passed by students calling on their universities to divest um, from, from, from Israel. These concepts are not new. They were concepts that anti-apartheid activists in South Africa used to help galvanize the international community. They're like, okay, great. You want to help us stop apartheid? Like, here's something you can do. Don't buy South African products. Get your universities to divest from South African corporations and call on your governments to sanction apartheid South Africa. And that was a tactic that that helped. On that point, there was also the recent list that was published actually by the United Nations, which the Zionists tried for very long to suppress the publication of, and it was held up, I think, for years. Yes. But essentially, the UN Human Rights Office issued a report on the business enterprises that are involved in settlement activity in the occupied West Bank in response to a request made by the UN Human Rights Council, which was made in 2016, and I think the list only recently got published. So basically on that list, if you look, you'll see all of the corporations. Many of them are Israeli, most of them are, but some of them are from the US and others are European. And those corporations would make excellent targets and fit under the aim and scope of the BDS movement. So everyone should look at those and those should be um, targeted for, um, for BDS work. A lot of those executives of those US based corporations that deeply support Israel are serving as members of the board of regents, right? So the body, (laughs) the body, the governing body that makes up the infrastructure for all college campuses across California is heavily influenced by corporate executives whose loyalty is to corporations and Israel. Right. And the Board of Regents has said over and over again, you know, after each campus of theirs passes a divestment resolution, we're not taking this seriously. You guys are all anti-Semitic for passing this. And, you know, we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do what you want us to do. I mean, they did 
they did the same thing during apartheid South Africa. I mean, the University of California was one of the last educational institutions in the country to divest from apartheid South Africa. So there is historical context and precedent there. And eventually they will divest. And, and, and you know, just like they did decades ago, they'll say, oh, we've, you know, we've known Israel was an apartheid state all along. We were always with you. It just wasn't the right time. You know, they'll make up excuses. But he loved Mandela once he got out of jail. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But, um, but we'll get there. I think, I think we'll really get there. I just wanted to mention that on the UN list of companies involved in settlement um, activity, in terms of the American companies that were placed on the list, you have Airbnb, of course, Expedia Group in the US. Yeah. So don't use Yeah, Expedia. they list both Expedia and Booking.com and Airbnb um, all list properties inside settlements in the occupied West Bank. And then also we have General Mills and Motorola as well that were US yeah. companies that were placed on this list. If you were using Expedia, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? That's just that has nothing to do with called and they want their <laughs> yeah. decade back. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you go use Ask Jeeves? You feel me? Like what? You... <laughs> How's Bing doing right now? <laughs> I love it. It was. This was so much fun. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the Palestine Pod. We so appreciate your insight, your stories, everything that you've shared with us. It's so meaningful for me, particularly as an anti-Zionist Jew to connect with you, somebody who I look up to as a sister. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. Thank you. Mara, thank you so much for all the work that you've done supporting Palestinian rights over the years and your commitment to justice and equality and speaking truth to power always. Oh, You're a Lauren, true- Michael, thank you. You <laughs> are an OG. <laughs> yeah, it's an OG. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling it. Like we got gray <laughs> hair coming in. I mean, I've got gray hairs too and it's, I think Israel, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's what they do. For sure, for sure. I swear to y'all, I had a full head of brown hair like two like years ago. Two weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, I look like <laughs> Obama after his second term now. Oh God. You know what I mean? Damn. Thank you so much for all of your work, you guys. This is the Palestine Pod. Palestine Pod. Palestine Pod. Palestine Pod. Palestine Pod Expand your mind Palestine Pod <laughs>